Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. I am so thankful that we are now in the fall beginning to open some new ministries and activities and get back to life. Thank you for all of you who have checked out our new brunch service at 11 a.m. on Sundays in the uh, in the chapel. For those of you who are online right now and tuning in, uh, if you've never checked it out before, you might want to check it out because the brunch service allows you to invite friends to church who might otherwise never want to go to church. But if you say, hey, it's a delicious uh, breakfast and a speaker. That's kind of a normal invitation. People are used to that invitation. So it's an easy way uh, to, to invite people into the church if they might otherwise say no. So uh, keep that one in your back pocket. Keep that in mind as you're, as you're praying for people. Uh, and thanks to all of you who have uh, joined us for our classes and activities. We've got a worship night coming up on October 15th. It'll be a great chance just to sing together and pray together. So make sure that's on your calendar. Uh, Today, we're going to continue in our series. We're almost at the end of this series now called 2020 Hindsight, and we're looking at what God has taught us over the course of the last season. We're talking about how Christians pursue truth in times where there is great struggle. And so we've talked about the fact that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He's the one we go to to find out what is true and real in this life. We've talked about getting our priorities in the right order, the order of J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. We've talked about uh, the healthy relationship that scientific communities and faith communities can and should have with each other. And we've talked about eliminating the blame game and the cancel culture, all those great things. Today, I want to talk about something that is uh, close to a lot of people's hearts, which is fake news and conspiracy theories. In case in the last year you've heard anything at all about fake news and conspiracy theories, Jesus has some really important things to say about how we process information, about how we deal with truth. And today I want to talk about Jesus' call to deal rightly with the conspiracy theories that might be out there in, in case you've heard any of them. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you love us and that you call us to yourself and that you want us to follow you faithfully. I pray that you would help us to see the truth, that in this world of confusion and deception, you would help us to see you, help us to know your word and to know where you're leading. Help us to see through deceptions that are thrown in front of our eyes. Help us to have an ear for the truth. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Hey, to get started this morning, let's do a push-pay survey. If you have downloaded the church app, we have a push-pay survey uh, that uh, we're sending out this morning. If you already have the app, you probably got a push notification, or if you downloaded it just a few minutes ago, if you, uh, if you open up the app and look in, I think it's look in messages, you'll see uh, there's a new one out today. And here is the push pay survey question of the day, our app survey question of the day. Uh, in the app, uh, you'll see it. It says, when it comes to conspiracy theories, multiple choice now. Number one, I usually know truth from falsehood. I can usually figure it out. Two, I get tricked now and then. Three, 
I wait until everyone else has made up their minds before I decide. Or four, they're all true and you're not fooling me. Go ahead and pick one and vote for it. And if you've got the app open, you can watch the results come in in real time. It's kind of fun to see where your neighbors are landing on that so you can have something to argue about after church, I guess. I don't know. Uh, conspiracy theories are a fascinating thing. Back in 1963, you know, uh, John F. Kennedy, the president, was, was assassinated. And uh, there, there was uh, all kinds of conspiracy theories that came out immediately as to whether or not Oswald Chambers could have done that acting alone. The theories have ranged from the CIA did it, the FBI did it, the KGB did it, Cuba did it, the vice president did it. There are all kinds of theories that have just poured out into the market surrounding this terrible tragedy. And there have been uh, uh, resolutions back and forth, but I don't know if any of them have finalized it. The very next year, the, the Warren Commission said, nope, it was, it was one shooter acting alone. But then in the 70s, a committee of the House of Representatives said, no, 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 acoustic evidence shows that there were two shooters. Well, that evidence has since been discredited, but there are still theories floating around surrounding that terrible event so many decades ago. Now, in March of, I want to say it was 1981, an assassination attempt was made on President Ronald Reagan. Uh, he was shot, but he did not die. Uh, his bodyguard was severely injured, but did not die. So it was a, a, a sort of a, a tragically sad event, but Reagan went on to be the president through most of the 80s. As far as I can tell, no conspiracy theories about that developed at all for the better part of 25 years. It wasn't until 2016, Roger Stone wrote a book saying George Bush was behind it. Absolutely no evidence for that at all. And uh, Roger Stone's, as you know, gotten in trouble with the federal court since then for allegedly not telling the truth about some things. But that to say, look at the difference between the two events. The Kennedy assassination proliferated conspiracy theories. The assassination attempt on Reagan, I don't, I don't know, generated any real conspiracy theories. Why the difference between the two? Well, we can say there were different official reports on, on the first one, but I, I don't think that's actually what it is. I think what, what the difference is, is that one of them ended tragically and horrifically in a way that changed world history, and one didn't. And we as a species need complex explanations for big events. The bigger the event, the bigger the explanation needs to be. It can't simply be a simple cause had a huge tragic effect. There have to be mind-bending, diabolical plans behind it. Multiple international organizations have to be involved. For something terrible to happen, there has to be a complex reason for it. Otherwise, the world is more fragile than we thought. And that's a scary thing. Nobody wants a world that can be easily and simply turned upside down. Conspiracy theories have become a subject of academic study over the last 20 years like never before. The, the study of conspiracies in the universities has blossomed ever since September 11, 2001. Because not long thereafter, conspiracy theories proliferated about the idea that somehow September 11th was not uh, carried out by 19 terrorists, but instead was some kind of inside job. There was no evidence for this at all, but the internet was brand new. and People figured out that they could circulate bad information rapidly like it had never been done before. And so conspiracies 
erupted around that event, and consequently, the universities began to study conspiracy, began to take it on as a serious question. The questions they were asking were things like, one, what is a conspiracy, conspiracy theory? What makes it a conspiracy theory? Two, why do, they, why do they spread so fast? Why do they get around so much? And three, why does there seem to be a link to religious communities? Are religious communities a, a place where conspiracy theories are more rapidly spread? Well, the universities are, are delving into this like never before. I suspect that after the year 2020, that area of study is going to skyrocket. I mean, how could it not? That we'll go out decades from now writing papers about conspiracy theories and how they spread and how we discern truth. I, I want to keep a spiritual log of this last year so that we can pay attention to questions like that. Not just from a psychological or sociological or political standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint. I want to look at what God wants us to do in the midst of a world of conspiracies. Fortunately, Jesus speaks into this very question. You may not have realized this. You may not have thought this, but Jesus talks about conspiracy theories. That's not what he calls them, but he says what we should look for when we're presented with big ideas that may well be deceptions. So if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to look at Jesus' teaching starting at verse 13. Uh, things that he had to say about people who seek truth, people who preach truth, and people who try to deceive. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Listen to the word of God. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The, the word here for destruction is the word apalia in Greek. And what it refers to is something that has been made useless and has to be crumpled up and throw away. You know when you're writing a, a love letter and every word has to be perfect and the, the handwriting has to be gorgeous, so you're writing a beautiful, lovely love letter and you mess it up? You don't, in a love letter, scratch it out and just keep going. You have to crumple it up and throw it away because it's a waste now. It's not useful. Apalia, that's what it is. It's been made useless, so it has to be thrown away. Or imagine a drinking glass that's got a crack in it, and so every time you go to drink out of it, it leaks on you. It pours water on you. It, mess, it messes up your shirt. Well, that's useless, so you have to throw it away. Apalia, that's what it is. Wide is the road that leads to a life that's a waste. And narrow is the road that leads to real life. Jesus is not just contrasting heaven and hell here. He's talking about the lives that we live in this world. A lot of people waste them. It's not at all impossible to get to the end of your life and look back and go, I just wasted it. I only have one and I wasted it. But there is a pathway that leads to life. And that's what Jesus wants to call us to. So he's going to give us two things to look for when we are trying to discern truth, when we're trying to see our way through conspiracy theories, there are two things that Jesus says to look for. And here they are. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Uh, for this metaphor to make sense, you have to understand that back then they thought that figs were a good fruit. Uh, we all know better now. 
but their produce aisles did not have an abundance of choices, so they ate figs and thought those were good. Uh, we know now that figs are disgusting, but it was back then. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus says there are false prophets out there claiming to teach truth who will intentionally lead you astray. And you might not be able to tell just by listening to them. They might sound right. They might sound compelling. They might have a good sense of humor. They might be handsome. They might say all kinds of things that resonate with you. There's not an alarm that's going to go off that says, no, 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 this person is leading you astray. When Pastor Jim is up here teaching, you better pay attention. You better check me against the scriptures because there's not an alarm in our building that goes off when I say something wrong. Not yet. My staff is working on it. But, but Jesus says, here's what I want you to look for. Look at the fruit of their lives. Look at what they give out. Don't just listen to the message and concentrate on the facts. Look at the fruit that they bear. Galatians chapter 5 will tell us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Look for the fruit of the Spirit. Look for the fruit of the Spirit if you're trying to discern whether or not someone is a conspiracy theorist or someone who is telling you the truth. If you evaluate truths, look at the fruit that they may bear. Jesus wants us to, to listen with a, a a grain, uh, listen to things with a grain of salt because he knows that there are false teachers that are coming, that had come and will come. And I was looking for a conspiracy that we could test this against. Uh, it's hard to, you know, think of any conspiracies that people actually believe in today. I could hardly think of one as I sat trying to discern what we could talk about without offending a bunch of people. Uh, but I, there is one out there that I, I need to tell you about because you may not know about this yet, but this is a real thing. Uh, there's a conspiracy that's brewing in our culture, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to brim over in the next coming years. And most people don't see this coming, but fortunately, I, your pastor, am here uh, to help you. It's about the moon. Uh, not the conspiracy about whether or not the flag was waving on the moon. It was, that, it was set up that way. That's, it was there. We put a flag on the moon. Just relax. This is, this is the conspiracy that's uh, raising. Um, as you know, there's some uh, billionaires out there who are flying rockets into space or towards space, and one day they want to fly to the moon, set up hotels and swimming pools and whatever else they're going to do on the moon. And they're, they're actually, we're actually working on this. This is a real thing. The trip to the moon is about three days, and I think this might be one of the proposed solutions to the overpopulation of the Earth. And they've, they've actually begun designing machines that will create oxygen on the moon. In fact, a member of our church has actually worked on the device that does that. They're preparing to create livable space on the moon. Well, here's my question for you. Who owns the moon? Who owns it? Is it the first person to put a flag in it? Because that was us. Uh, okay, do we go up there? Is it like the Wild West where we just kind of get in our space coaches and put flags down wherever we find a property that we want to be ours? Who owns the moon? Well, get this. There was a treaty signed in, I think it was 1967, and I kid you not, it's called the Outer Space Treaty, and a majority of the countries of our world signed it. Uh, it's called the Outer Space Treaty, I think it was 1967, uh, and the United States signed it, China signed it, Japan signed it, 
Germany signed it. Uh, Russia signed it. All the big players, better than 50% of the countries in the world signed this document. 111 countries signed it. And um, it says, no nation can declare sovereignty over any celestial body. The moon, stars, planets, we can't go out there and say it's ours. And we all signed this treaty saying we're not going to do that back in the 1960s because we knew it was going to happen. Well, here's the deal. In 1980, a guy figured out there was a loophole in the contract. Uh, his name was Dennis Hope, I believe. And Hope uh, read the contract, and he says, no nation, it says no nation can declare sovereignty over a, a celestial body. And he realized it says nation. It doesn't say individual. And he wrote a letter to the United Nations that said, I declare sovereignty over the moon. Uh, he says, I wasn't asking their permission. I was just informing them. Um, this is a real story. I'm not making any of this up. There is an outer space treaty, and there's a guy named Dennis Hope who has now begun selling real estate on the moon. And not begun. He started in the 80s. He started selling an acre for $25 on the moon, which seems like a pretty good deal. Acre for $25. He actually put uh, Pluto up for auction. Pluto is a quarter million, I think, if you, if you can make the trip. Uh, and uh, he started selling this to people. Now, before you laugh this off, guess how much money he has made selling intergalactic real estate. He reports that thus far he has made $12 million. I don't know what line of work you're in, but you are in the wrong line of work. <laughs> this guy has figured it out. Uh, Hope is, he's a Californian, he's no surprise, and he's still alive today. Before he landed on uh, his job as a realtor, a space realtor, he was a car salesman. And uh, his night gig, he was a ventriloquist. That's what he did. He was a car salesman and ventrilo ventriloquist. <laughs> I saw the moon first. It's mine. <laughs> and, uh, and so he, uh, so he has now made $12 million selling real estate on the moon and other, other planets. So now this is a real conspiracy because before too long, we're going to begin populating the moon. I, I think that's what's going to happen. There are going to be human beings living on the moon. Who owns it? What if you've already missed out? What if big NASA is pulling the wool over your eyes because this guy's out there selling it and nobody's, nobody's reined it in yet? There aren't laws governing it. You better get in and start buying fast, sheeple. Read the dark web. It's out there. Right? When you're confronted with a conspiracy like that, and it starts, when you first hear it, you go, that's absolutely ridiculous. But that's how all conspiracies start. They sound ridiculous, and you're like, wait a minute, there could be something here. And then you start to investigate, and then you get a little obsessed and stay up too late at night Googling things. When you face a conspiracy theory like that, Jesus says, here's the first test. Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit that it bears. Look at the, the person propagating it. What fruit do you see in their lives? If someone is out there making millions of dollars selling real estate on something that they've gotten through a loophole that they think they own, the fruit of this is greed, manipulation, uh, exploitation of the gullible. I mean, for all I know, it could just be that he has a good sense of humor. I don't know the guy. Maybe the whole thing is a joke for him, and he's really amused by the fact that he's made a lot of money off of it. But potentially, it's a whole host of really bad fruit. Jesus says, when you see that, don't trust where it's coming from. If you want to know what's at the root, look at the fruit. It tells you what kind of tree it is. And a bad root doesn't bear good fruit. If the fruit is bad, it's because the root was bad. Pay attention to the fruit that someone is bearing. That's a really good indicator. And that's the first sign that Jesus tells us to consider. There's a second one. Jesus goes on, names a, a second criteria that we should use when 
investigating truth. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but here it is, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, when he says that day, he means judgment day, the final day that we stand in front of God. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Well, this should, this should give us pause for a minute. If there are people out there working miracles to whom Jesus is going to say, no, 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 you're not in. What about little old me? Am I at risk here? Think about all the charlatans and religious hypocrites who have used religion to build a fortune for themselves, to build fame for themselves, and used it to exploit other people. Jesus is talking about the abuse of the faith. When, when, when he says, beware of false prophets, look for two things. One, Look to see if they bear fruit in their lives, good fruit, spiritual fruit. And two, look, look to see if they do the will of my Father in heaven. What are they living for? Are they, are they out to, to love and to care, to provide for the world, to point the world towards Jesus? Or are their fundamental motives self-indulgent? Now Jesus will craft a parable that sums the whole thing up. He says, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because, it's ha because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This parable summarizes what Jesus has said before. If you want to pursue truth, if you want to navigate your world, way through a world of conspiracies, make sure you have a strong foundation. Do the will of my, my Father, and then bear fruit, fruit that will withstand the storms. The fruit of the Spirit is patience in the midst of storms, like a pandemic. The fruit of the Spirit is peace in the midst of storms, like in, a, in the midst of a pandemic. Bear good fruit so that when the storms come, you stand. You and I are followers of Jesus in a world that's going to be filled with conspiracies and false prophets, deceptions, and cons. We have to be about the business of the truth. Because our main goal in life, our main purpose in life, is to make Jesus known. My main goal in life is to go out and love people in Jesus' name so that they are drawn to Him, so that they discover Him, so that they follow Him. And then they go out and love people in Jesus' name so that those people find Jesus and love Jesus and dedicate themselves to Jesus. And then they go out and love people in Jesus' name. That's our main goal. That is our mission on the earth. That is what we are here for. And we're not going to be very effective of that, at that if people look at the church and see a, a wild group of conspiracy theorists who are constantly in a state of panic.
We, we can't say we believe in Jesus and we trust Jesus and everything is in God's hands if we are a bundle of anxiety all the time. Instead, we need to build our house on the foundation of Jesus and bear good fruit that withstands the storms. There, there are two priorities that we need to get in order if we're going to be faithful witnesses to Jesus in this world. If the world is going to look at we who follow Jesus and say, they figured something out, there are two priorities we need to have in order. They are priorities of Jesus. Number one, we need to put truth before tribes. We need to care more about the truth than whether or not it came from our tribe, whether or not it came from our group or our family or our political party or our country. We need to care more about truth than whether or not it came from the right person. Jesus modeled this over and over again. Remember, Jesus taught the, the parable of the Good Samaritan who stopped and helped somebody who was injured on the side of the road. And the power of the story is not just that the Samaritan was a good guy. The power of the story is that Samaritans were bad people. The Jewish people did not like the Samaritans. They were from the wrong race. They had the wrong beliefs. They had the wrong history. They had the wrong geography. They flew the wrong flag. And Jesus tells a parable about one of them and says, be like the good Samaritan. That would have been so offensive to the Jewish people of his day. They didn't like Samaritans, but Jesus prioritized truth over tribes. Jesus heals the child of a Roman centurion who comes to Jesus and says, my son is sick. And Jesus says, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. Jesus praises the Roman over the Israelites. And remember, the Rom Romans were the bad guys. The Romans ruled over the Jewish people, and the Jewish people wanted to be free from them. The Romans had the, the wrong race and the wrong beliefs, and the wrong history, and the wrong geography, and they flew the wrong flag. And Jesus praises one of them and says, this is how it ought to be. Be like this Roman. You and I must place truth over tribes. The only tribe I'm allowed to commit to is I'm allowed to commit to Jesus. Truth comes from Jesus. He is the source of all truth, and His truth transcends all times and all cultures. But beyond that, I can't, I can't prefer my tribe to the truth. Truth comes first. Secondly, we have to place, we have to choose patience instead of panic. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Panic is not the fruit of the Spirit. Panic is a fruit of an anxious nature. And Jesus wants to call us out of panic to a life of patience. When we live patiently, we can withstand the storms because we don't immediately glob on to whichever conspiracy hits us first. We don't immediately running to panicked explanations of disasters. Instead, we can weigh truth calmly, peacefully, putting truth before tribes and choosing patience, not panic. It's like something that happened to me many years ago when I was a, a student pastor. I worked with a youth group at the church, and there was a day where I took a bunch of them and rented vans down to Mexico to build houses for people in need. And on the way down, we stopped at Carl's Jr. That's what good youth groups do. Had lunch, jumped back in the vans, and drove down into Tijuana. And as we got out of the vans in Tijuana, I looked at the back of my van and realized there was suddenly a dent in it that had not been there when I rented the van. And I realized what had happened 
We had parked at Carl's Jr. Somebody had run into the van in the parking lot and just driven away. And I didn't notice it when we got in the cars. I noticed it when we got out down in Tijuana. And so all these nervous thoughts started to run through my head. I was in my early 20s. I was a young guy. I had never rented anything before. And, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, I don't, there's going to be charges for this. The, the church isn't going to trust me anymore. My, my name's going to go on some list somewhere and all the insurance companies. I'll never be able to rent a church van again. I need a new line of work. Um, I started to panic. And a, a wiser, more mature leader who was on the trip with me said, Jim, there's a way. And he took a, a wooden beam and he put it inside the wheel well of the van and he, lever, he leveraged it and it, the dent popped right out and disappeared. And with it went my anxieties. Well, the world of 2020 is a lot worse than a dented van. But there's someone a lot more powerful standing up over us and saying, there's a way. What he's saying is, I am the way. Trust me. Make my teachings your foundation. And then grow good fruit. Put truth before your tribes. And choose patience, not panic. When we do that, the world will look in the direction of we who follow Jesus and say, oh, they've got something figured out. And we do. We know the one who is the truth. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you are the truth and that because of you, we can rest easy. We can rest knowing that you are the God of all truth, that all truth belongs to you, and that you reveal truth to us as we love you and follow you. Take anxiety and fear and wring them out of our hearts. Set us free from the urgency to, to blame or to find excuses or to point fingers. Instead, help us to pursue truth with loving hearts, patiently, knowing that everything is in the hands of our good God. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.